0: 365 years of walking with God. I don't know how long you in there you walk, but Noah built an ark. The Lord told him to build an ark, and he had to watch a whole world get destroyed. Uh, the question is, what are you willing to do? Uh, if you're not going to be willing to do something, the Lord will never work with you. And Sometimes it takes time before he ever gets to the point where he's ready to use you, but he's going to use you out there somewhere. Uh, if he keeps putting you through the things that he wants you to. David had to run from Saul for a long time. Anointed king had to run from Saul, run, run out of the country to save his life. And then one day, the Lord brought him back in, and and David was willing. He would not, he would not go against the king of Israel. Would not do it. I'm not going to do it. I'll die first. I don't care if I have been anointed king. I'm not going to go against Saul. Lord's going to have to take care of the thing. I'll get out of the way. And and David left. And all through that time, you think about the sadness and the heartache and the breaks. Then you got to your apostles. He chose 12 men. One of them was the devil. Throw him out. But the other 11 had to learn. Had to learn some things about Jesus Christ. They had to learn something about their Lord and Savior. They had to learn what they were missing. You know what they had to do? They couldn't quit. He called Peter a devil. He's thinking, devil, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, what would you do if somebody said that to you? Would you have enough character to say, okay, okay. I like Peter. He goes, where else am I going to go? You got the words of life. I don't have no other place to go. You know, you got to get to the place in life where you realize there's no other place to go. I have no other place to go. I was told today that, uh, or I wasn't told, I was called and asked if I'm no longer the pastor of the church. I didn't know that if I'm not, so y'all y'all need to tell me that. But uh, I called him back and I said, well, I, I think I am. I, I thought I was. I said, nobody told me I wasn't. Uh, and I said, I'm, I'm still kind of confused over the thing. Who said that? He goes, I don't know. He goes, somebody said that that you, you were, they replaced you and a younger guy. I said, you know, there's another Anchor Baptist Church, which there is, uh, down in Hillsboro. And, and, and another young man, uh, uh, Brother Bob Hoddle passed away and another brother took the church. And he thought they changed the church, but he was concerned that it was our church. And I said, no, brother, it's not our church. I said, uh, I, said I don't know where else to go. I said, I, I, if I left here, I don't have any other place to go. Uh, my wife is not going to leave because all of her kids are here, so i got to stay here. And I said, and the other guy, whoever takes it over, would have to put up with me, so I don't know if they could do that. I said, you know what? I said, brother, as far as I'm concerned right now, I think I'm still the pastor. I'll check tonight. So could I get a show of hands? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, you gotta, you got to get to the place, and what are you willing to do through life? And then I get to my life, and I watch that thing, and, and as a baby Christian getting saved in 1988, There was a lot of things that just didn't make sense for the first four, five, six years. And then things started falling in place. And they started falling in place. And then the Lord started God. He looked to say, hey, young man, are you going to stick by the stuff or are you going to quit before you even get started? I said, well, I'm not going to quit because I'm too stupid to quit. I don't know how to quit. Uh, And I just kept going down that path. And and 43 years later, I look back. And he goes, Mike, are you willing? Are you still willing? Yeah, I'm still willing. I'm willing today. I'm willing today for you to do, like he said last night on oh, the potter's will, whatever you got to do to me for your honor and glory because if it's going to help somebody else. Do it to me. Do it to me. If you got to take away everything i got, take it. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I've got something greater in Jesus Christ than I could ever have on this planet. Amen. And I'm telling you, I'm going to shut up. Brother, you better come up here and preach. If not, I'll start. You know who I am. I just won't shut up. But it's great, man. It's great to serve Jesus Christ. And you know what you got to do to them? I'm not going to go away. I'm not. But like Peter, where else am I going to have to go? You know what a revival does? It reinstills that in your heart. I had no other place to go.
1: All right. Ezekiel chapter number 37 in your Bibles, if you would. It's amazing to me to watch all week. The Lord just seems to... Line things up and uh, things, even your preacher says before I come up here, it's like, Good night, God, stop him because I don't have nothing to preach. Um, we'll just give it. I could just give the invitation if you wanted, I could do that part. But uh, just that last song was really, uh, really good. I appreciate that very much. That was, that was what I needed, and I like seeing God line it up like that. Even though I'm staying in purgatory, I haven't been talking to the devil. So uh, Joe did not know what I'm preaching tonight. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, <laughs> I made that joke yesterday, and then I had to apologize to him. We got home. I said, I'll keep this between us. I'm going to apologize to you. Don't tell anybody I'm apologizing. I told Ms. Page, I said, you know what? That wasn't about you. That was all about Joe. So um, but he has no idea what we're preaching on, but the Lord does. And uh, what are you willing to do? In other words, how bad, how bad. How bad do you really want the Lord? Amen. Ezekiel 37, verse 1 The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And When I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Amen. Joe, would you ask God to bless the preaching, please? Paul,
2: I you the Thank you, Lord, for God, I pray you help so we'll preach from the preacher for for again Lord, behind the pulpit to say exactly what He needs to say the way He needs to say it. Father, help us, Lord God, to have ears to hear, Mm -hmm. and Lord, be quick to to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to wrath as we dive into these things that you place upon a man's heart. I ask God that you help us, Father, to extract whatever we can from the next few moments that we have here in this service. Help us not to miss an opportunity to hear your voice. Lord, I believe you're going to speak, and I pray, God, that we would, we would get something tonight. Father, I pray you continue to move in, in amongst these folks that have come out. They come here on a Tuesday night from work. Father, they're tired. But, the Lord, they're here because they want to hear from you. So I just ask that you would feel welcome here tonight. Father, I ask again, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord. We're just grass, and we need you. So I pray you bless this time of preaching. And Lord, give us something that we need here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Now you'll notice with me in verse number one there, he says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. I got looking at that very phrase and just thinking about that thing. And man, you know what I want in my life more than anything? I want the hand of God on my life. I want to know for a fact that I am God's man, not not necessarily the man of God. Do you know what I mean? You ever meet the man of God? I don't want to be the man of God. I want to be God's man. I want God's hand on my life. And one thing that I know and I understand, I know enough about Mike Reagan, I know enough about myself to realize that I need God's hand on my life. Let me make it just right away, I want to make it real real and real practical. I'm not talking to preachers only But preachers do need God's hand on their life. That is something that I believe is lacking all over this nation and all over churches in this nation is the hand of God on the preacher's life. Preachers need that bad. But let me say, before I ever became a pastor or a preacher, I was a husband. And one thing I know about my wife is she needs a husband who has the hand of God on his life. In order to be the husband that I need to be, I need God's help. To be the man God wants me to be. It's not easy to be a husband. Amen. It's easy to love yourself. Amen. Yeah, it sure is. It's easy to love your wife. Wait a second. Wait, I didn't say as Christ loved the church. That's not easy. It's easy to love your wife for yourself. There's, there is a difference. Some guys love their wife, but it's only because... What she does for them and how he needs her, and I'm talking about loving her as Christ loved the church and giving yourself for her. I use this illustration all the time at our church. You know exactly how much you love your wife by who controls the remote. That went over real bad, brother. That was just like not good. And most of the wives are going, "Huh, huh." We don't watch Wind calls the heart when I'm sitting on the couch. I'm sorry. Or whatever that stuff is, something like that, this Hallmark stuff, you know? You know how selfish we are? Innately selfish? You know, one of the the kids said that in one of their classes at school, they, they literally taught them, I think it was a health class or something, they literally taught them, they said, when you're married, if you come to a point where you and your spouse are no longer compatible because they changed with time... What you need to do is accept the fact that they changed with time and be willing to go ahead and part ways and find yourself a new one. Literally teaching kids that in school. Listen, over time, you do change. Your spouse does change. I'm not the same man that I was 20 years ago, and she's not the same woman. I don't want her to be the same woman, but the changes make it tough. You know that if you've been around any length of time. The transitions in life mess with your mind. They mess with your emotions. Things change, and what you've got have is you gotta have the hand of God on your life to make it through those things so you don't wind up tore up and messed up by the devil with a wrecked marriage and God not being in the thing anymore dried up laying in a valley you need the hand of God on your marriage you know what you mamas need really bad you need the hand of God on your life it ain't easy to be a mama I don't speak from experience, okay? I don't care what kind of a world we're living in. I don't speak from experience. You need God's hand on your life. It's not easy to be a mama. It's not easy to kind of like get through some of those emotional sides of things. And, you know, when your husband's being too hard on the boys, but he's looking at you with those puppy dog eyes and melting your mama heart. And then as soon as you turn around, he looks at dad with that defiance again. And, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? Just real life stuff. You need the hand of God on your life. We need God more than we've ever needed Him before. And it seems like people care less and less about having the hand of God on their life. I desire more than the breath in my lungs. I mean this from my heart. I thought about this. I prayed on this before I said it. More than the very breath in my lungs. I want the hand of God on my life. I need it. You know what I believe with all my heart? In the middle of a dry land, in the middle of a time when people don't want Bible preaching churches anymore. People are looking for the smoke machines and the skinny jeans, you know, they're looking for the fancy music and they're looking for the programs, and and they want to what, what does your church offer for our kids? What's there for my teens? You guys got a great thing going for teens. But you know that's not the reason to be in a local church. That is not the reason to find a church. In a day and age when that's where everybody's looking for those are the things that they want out of church. You know what we don't have? We don't have the hand of God. The the, the world doesn't want it. And in this day, here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe with all my heart that we can be a Philadelphian church. Do you realize it is Laodicea, right? And I'm not preaching false doctrine. I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, it's going to wax worse and worse. You've been saying that all week. Yeah, it is going to wax worse and worse. There's no doubt about it. It's not going to get better. Some of us may wind up like Jeremiah in jail. Now, now just wrap your mind around that for a second. If anything, getting shot doesn't even really scare me that bad. And I mean, that's one thing to say now. It's another thing when the gun's in my face. So please don't pull a gun on me. I would be very embarrassed if I wet my pants and screamed in front of the whole church, all right? <laughs> but I mean, I don't even really worry as much about getting shot as I do about one particular thing I hate enclosed spaces. We go preach in the jail, and when that door goes clunk behind me, I'm like, mm. I'll never forget the one time we went into a, a pod there in the jail. You might have even been with us that time. No, you haven't been in there yet, have you? No, okay. You, you'd remember. We went into a pod in the jail, man, and we, we got in there. We're, we're, uh, they, they, you come into this little, you go down the hallway, you stand at the door, and then you enter this little lobby space between the hallway and the, and the pod, and then they, gotta, they lock the door behind you, and then they got to release the next door, right? Yeah. All right, cool. So they release it. We come in there. We knock. The guy at the guard station, he pops the lock. We come in. He locks it behind us. We go in there. We're preaching. Having a great time, great service. I'm doing fine. I got my mind under control. We're good. I got it all squared away. I'm in there preaching, having a great time. Some smart aleck comes in, opens up the door, sticks his head in the pod, and he's in the, in the classroom where we're at. And he's like making comments about Jesus. I just stopped because everybody turned and looked at him. And I just stood there and stared at him. I waited until he was done. He shut the door and left. And I went back to preaching. Didn't really say much at all. Some of the guys in there are like. (sighs) He pops his head in again. mocking everybody. I stop and I look at him. I wait. They start getting frustrated. They start saying stuff to him. He leaves. Ha, ha, ha. Shuts the door and leaves. I said, somebody's going to tune him up for long. And then I started preaching. Next thing you know, man, the guards are going crazy. There's, there's alarms going off, lockdown, full lockdown. Guards come in there. Everybody do your bunks right now. I step out of the little classroom we were in, and there is blood splattered all the way across in front of the guard station, up the steps, all the way up there. He had lipped off to the wrong guy, and it got on, and it got good, man. It was a blessing. I mean, it was like, man, praise the Lord. This is so cool. You know what hit me? I'm in lockdown, and this could be a while. I got my back up against the wall, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is not fun. Finally, they come. They say, you know what, you guys, we're going to get you out of here. We're going to go, and, oh, thank God, I'm sweating. They get us in, bring us through the, the, the pod there into the little, little foyer way between the pod and the hallway. Clunk, lock the door, and they forgot about us. <laughs> they had a lot going on. And I'm sitting in there in that little room, and it's hot and it's sweaty, and I got my guys from church with me, and my mind is starting to go like, these walls are getting real tight, man. It's getting real tight in here. I'm stuck. I can't even call Gracie. What am I going to do? Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. I'm like, I am not going to freak out in front of these guys. I'm not going to let them know I'm freaking out. I'm not going to let them know my weakness. I'm not going to let this happen. You know what messes with my head? Jeremiah is sitting in prison for the name of Jesus Christ because he's preaching the truth. And you know what could happen to us? I believe it with all my heart. I think it's probably a reality in the next 30 years. Just, I like to deal with worst case scenario, right? That's worst case scenario. But you know what I believe in the meanwhile? God hasn't got us out of here yet, has he? So you know what that means? We still got a job to do. And what we're going to need in this day and age is the same thing Ezekiel needed. We need the hand of God on us if we're going to get the job done. Because without the hand of God, there is no... I guarantee you, you got a weakness somewhere. I guarantee you, you got a breach somewhere. Amen. I guarantee you, you got some chinks in your armor somewhere. And if you don't have the hand of God on you, if you don't have the presence of God with you, I'm telling you right now, when the pressure gets right, when the circumstances just line up just so, when everything comes in on you just at the right moment, you will crack. You won't make it. You will fail. We need God's hand more than ever. I desire God's hand on my ministry. I I want to see our church be a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean time. Now, let me just explain quickly what I think that looks like. I personally don't think a Philadelphian church looks like it did back in the 50s or the early 1900s. I don't think the Bible Believers Church of South Lyon is going to, within the next three weeks, we're going to explode and we're just hundreds and thousands of people and there's a great revival going on in Michigan. The whole town's getting saved. Hey, I understand God could do that. But I also know where I'm at in the grand scheme of my Bible. I think I realize where we're at as a nation. I don't think a Philadelphian church in 2022 looks like the the ego of the preacher would imagine it to be, but I do believe in 2022, a Philadelphian church is still seeing souls saved, is still seeing some church growth, is still seeing God meet with them, is still seeing the blessings of God and the power of God and fresh food, food from the pulpit for God's people to grow some good fellowship, some brotherly love, some spiritual maturity where we can put down our differences and work together to see somebody get saved and God do something with us I think that's what it looks like and I think we can have it I know last night I left you kind of desperate Jeremiah was willing to sign up to be a preacher with absolutely zero results ever and he was okay with that to me that's just one of the strongest things I can see anywhere in my Bible a man that'll just keep going with nothing in it for him no good news and just keep on keeping on faithfully because God was in it That's what God wanted him to do, and he did it because he loved God. That's amazing. But boy, ain't it great when God does put His hand on you? Ezekiel got it about six times in the book of Ezekiel, and we're not going to run to all of those, but here's the funny thing about it, and don't turn there, but in chapter 1 it says, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel. And then it says in that same verse, and the hand of the Lord was upon him we talk about the hand of God, we need to define it. We need to make sure that we're careful about this because there's all kinds of people that think they got the hand of God. They're looking for a religious experience and an emotional experience. And I'm telling you right now, that is some of the most dangerous stuff you could ever run into. If all you're looking for is a feeling, you cannot build a solid foundation. You cannot have a lot of strong faith based on feelings. There's nothing about Jeremiah that felt good when you read through that thing, but he did experience the joy of God. You've got to be careful about a feeling. I've had plenty of them come through my church, man. I had one lady show up one time with her son. Her son was a prophet. She introduced me to the prophet. I said, you're a prophet, huh? He said, yeah, I'm a prophet. I said, that's great. He said, sometime I would like to give my testimony. I said, hey, we'll just just wait a little while. Why don't you just sit and just get some preaching? You're welcome here, but why don't you just sit and relax, let people get to know you a little bit, let me get to know you, because you might be a great guy and everything, but that don't mean you and I can work together. She looked at me, she said, well, you know, people have rejected him before. I said, yeah? She said, yeah, and I laughed. I said, okay. She said, I wouldn't mock him. I said, you wouldn't, huh? She said, no, I wouldn't mock him. She said, people have died. For mocking him I said are you threatening me she said excuse me I said are you threatening me did you just threatened to kill me she said I'm not threatening you I said yes you did and I started laughing I said you just threatened me you just told me that because I laughed at him God's going to kill me is that the case she running all on feelings That's the whole thing. Well, the Lord's moved on him, and the Lord's moved through him, and you wouldn't believe what he has. Yeah, the devil also can move based on your feelings. And let me tell you something right now. The devil will move on your feelings. He will move on your emotions. He will make sure he gets a breach in your spirit and gets down in there somewhere and gets in the way of God and tries to use religion to confuse you. The hand of God cannot be confused for some kind of an experience. When the hand of the Lord first came to Ezekiel, it says the word of the Lord came to him. And the word of the Lord came to him expressly. It was based on what that book said. The second time the hand of God is on Ezekiel, it says the spirit lifts him up and carries him away. And you know what it says in that passage? He said, so I went in the heat of my spirit. The hand of the Lord comes on Ezekiel a second time in the first three chapters and the second time the hand of God comes on Ezekiel he says I, he carried me away and he said man I was ticked off about it you want the hand of God on your life ain't that weird now where do you hear somebody preach like that like if you need the filling of God you need the hand of God and by the way when you get the hand of God it's probably going to tick you off you know how many people come to me, Pastor, I just feel like a hypocrite. I'm not coming to church because I always had a bad spirit, and I, just didn't, you know, I was just ticked off, and I'm not doing it for the right reasons. It don't matter. Do you understand that? Do you understand sometimes it does not matter whether or not you feel like it? Amen. Do you think he always feels like preaching? Do you? <laughs> He's probably going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I love it every time. You know what he still does? You want to know sometimes in my personal experience, sometimes when people come to me and say, man, pastor, that was just, (laughs) I really needed that. I was just as backslidden as I could possibly be. I'm not talking about drinking and messing around in sin. I'm just saying I was in the heat of my spirit. Me and God was having an issue. I was not happy about anything. I didn't like the way it turned out. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. But God said, this is what I want you to do. And I said, okay, I'll obey you but I don't always feel great about it. And man, there's something about the hand of God when you just let him carry you where he wants to carry you even when you don't feel like it. It's a blessing. Ezekiel didn't always feel like it, but the hand of God touched him anyways. And man, what a blessing that is. What an amazing God that we serve that'll put his hand on us and carry us even when the bitterness is the word he used and heat of his own spirit. The third time God puts his hand on him, God carries him out into the plane and says, I'm going to talk with you. I want to I deal with you. And it's funny what God does to him there. God tells him that he's going to give him this message. God says, I want you to preach. I want you to do these great things. And, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the word of God. Now go shut yourself in your house. Excuse me? God called me to preach. Great. Sit down and shut up. Excuse me? Yeah, sit down and shut up. You know what it says over there in that same passage? It says God caused his tongue to cleave to the roof of his mouth and he was dumb. I want the hand of God on my life more than than the breath in my lungs. I know, folks, I know how bad I need him. And I say, God, I want you to put your hand on me. And he has. And I'm not saying that like I got the hand of God on me. I'm saying it's not what I thought it was. Because what I thought it was is if God puts his hand on me, then all these great blessings are going to start flowing The church is going to be packed and souls are going to be saved. And, you know, me and my wife, we're never going to, like, see each other and, hi, how was your day? We're just going to glide to each other and begin waltzing around the kitchen because it's so wonderful, you know, to see you again. That was, see, my image of what that meant and and what it actually meant was the first time I ever, I'll never forget it, at 20-something years old, 26, 27 years old, I'd been pastoring for three months in Illinois. After my preacher said, do not take that church, they're going to chew you up and spit you out. I said, God's called me. And I got it in my guts and I can't hold it in. I can't stop it. I mean, I can't hold it in. Driving in my car down the highway, preaching to myself in the rearview mirror. I'm talking like it's just in me all the time. Just got to preach, man. So excited. I'd preach at anything. I'd practice preaching in my own bathroom at the mirror. Practice preaching at the squirrels in the backyard. It's in me. I got to preach. Didn't care who was looking at me. We want you to come be our pastor. This is the first time we've ever had a vote this close to unanimous. The old man said, don't go. They're going to chew you up and spit you out. Just just wait. And I said, "Mm, I got to preach. Three months into that church, I drove over to his church for his Carolina Classic. I answered the altar call, and I told God, I said, whatever it takes to have your hand on me, no matter what that means. My houses and lands, my dreams and my plans. God, if you've got to break me before you can make me, that's what I want. I want your hand. And by the time I drove from North Carolina back to Illinois, that church was a beehive of mess they went after her. They went after me. And three months later, we were packed up, moving back to Ohio, to Toledo, Ohio, with, with my father-in-law having to pay for the gas. That's how bad off we were. That was more humiliating than losing the church. Amen. Well, I'll help you out. I'll help you get back. And I, had to, I didn't even have gas money to make it back. God kicked the slats out from underneath me. And I went in bitterness and heat of my spirit. <coughs> Talking about the hand of God on you. That's a scary thing. God puts him in his house and says, Shut your mouth. I'm going to make your tongue cleave to the roof of your mouth. I gave you a message. I told you what I want you to preach. And I told you what I want you to do. Now don't say a word. It's a funny thing, ain't it? You know how strange it is to me as a pastor how many people come into the church 14 years later? And the first thing they do when they come to the church is they have ideas for me to help grow my church. They don't want to just sit down and listen to the preaching and just shut their mouth for a little while and grow. You know, we need to start this program and we need to start that program. You know what I used to do? I used to say, okay, let's start the program because I wanted God on the place. You know what? I wonder, maybe, maybe if I was more of a soul winner. Maybe we should be doing Saturday bus and Thursday night door knocking and Saturday street preaching and a printing ministry and more missions and more, more, more. Because, of course, if you give to missions, it's just like tithing to the church. When you do that, that's the magic genie in the bottle. When you rub that magic genie in the bottle, poof, the blessings of God come out and the hand of God is on you. You better be giving to missions. That's why your church isn't growing. I know I just really stepped on. I mean, I really just messed it up, didn't I, brother? I felt the kick back there. Well, you know what? This church, you know what we need to be doing? You need to be doing. We should have this program. You know how many times I started programs in the earlier days? Every time somebody showed up and told me that I was kind of dropping the ball in this arena because I wanted God on it, I wanted them to stay, and I was like, well, great, the Lord laid it on your heart. Let's do this. And then you know what always happened every time I started a program because I was prodded to do it? they wound up leaving and I was left holding the bag and nobody was showing up because I never thought God leading me to do it in the first place. Yeah. That's never been the magic genie. That's never been like, oh, if we just, if, you know what, if, if you go out and knock on doors on Thursday, then God's going to fill up your church. It's amazing how the souls are going to start getting saved. That does, You know, we've had some souls saved lately. Man, it's been, an, it's been amazing. We've had actually quite a wave of new Christians getting saved. And the vast majority of them are still coming. Josh come into my office, sits down across from me after coming to church for just a couple weeks. No Christian background at all. I mean, he has a rough background. The man's in his 30s and he has a rough background. He said, I don't know nothing about none of this stuff, man. But I've been coming. I've been listening to the preaching. Man, I showed him what the Bible says about salvation. He's like, yeah, I need to do that. He puts his head down. He trusts Christ as his Savior. He prayed a prayer that, man, I mean, it was so un-Baptist. You wouldn't believe it. And I'm like, that was good, man. I mean, that was, that was right from his heart. He meant it. He asked the Lord to save him the best he knew how. Amen. You know what he did? See, because I'm looking for feedback. I'm like, okay, good. He just prayed and got saved, so now i got to find the right thing. He goes, he picks his head up. He, go, he had his Bible in his lap. He's sitting there, he's holding his Bible on his knee. He goes, Stood up, turned around, walked out my office, walked out the side door, got in his car, and sped out of the parking lot. He didn't say a stinking word, man. I'm like, hey, what about, you know, praise the Lord, I'm saved, thank you, it was great, appreciate your time. Nothing. He just got up and bolted out of there. You know what he did? He got in the car, he called his brother, and within a couple of weeks, he led his brother to Jesus Christ. He's been in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, growing in the Lord. Hey, preacher, listen, I was reading this, and I don't know if I got this all wrong or not, but here's what the Lord showed me when I read that. Is that right or am I wrong? It's like, man, no, that's great. I mean, I love it. Praise God for it. It's a blessing, but it's not because anybody did anything perfect or rubbed any genies in a bottle or God had to bless us because we did something a certain way. It's just God moving when God wants to move the way God moves and praise God for it. That's what we need. It's just the hand of God. It's not anything we can do for ourselves. But if we aren't willing to have the hand of God, if we aren't hungry for the hand of God, if we aren't longing for the hand of God, you can't expect the hand of God. And I think that's probably what's happened to our churches. We have been so lulled to sleep by our success, by our American culture, by our gadgets, by our games. Even in the Bible-believing churches, I mean, we have just such great fellowship and we got the right doctrine and we got the right Bible and we got the right preaching and we got the right music and we're just always right about everything, you know what I mean? So obviously everything's good because we're it. We shout amen in the song service and we answer the altar calls and, and, and we read our Bibles, right? I mean, come on, you can like, don't, I mean, don't lie in church. I don't want God to kill you, but, you know, we read our Bibles, right? We pray, we we grab gospel. Look at all the gospel tracks out there. We're doing it all right, but what we're lacking is the real touch of Almighty God, the hand of Almighty God. And the problem is for most of us, when we get that touch, it's not what we thought it was going to be. It doesn't feel like we expected it to feel. And it's like, no, don't touch me again. Get your hands off me. Everything was fine until I got serious about you. And I thought you were going to do and I thought it was going to feel and I was expecting and instead you put me where I didn't want to go. You allowed to happen what I didn't want to happen. I thought since I raised my kids in church they were going to serve God. I thought since I married the right woman. She was always going to be the right woman. I never expected that the devil would get in my husband's head and mess up my family and I I didn't expect this. God, I got your touch and I got your hands but things are happening that don't make sense to me. God takes his servant here in the first three verses and you notice the servant's quandary when the hand of God is on him. God drops him off somewhere that doesn't make any sense. It says, the hand of the Lord is upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. So far so good amen that's what we want right i mean the hand of god on me, the spirit of god on me i said it before i want it more than the breath in my lungs i've made such an idiot out of myself preaching like an idiot screaming and yelling drawing all kinds of attention to jesus christ all kinds of attention to my bible and god help me if i ever walk away i'd rather die tonight You just said that. Well, if I get killed in the car accident tonight, you'll know God was being good to me. At least he died right with the Lord. See, that's terrible to say. I've seen it when men fall away from God after they've served him. And if I live another 40 years, 50 years out of the will of God, my life is useless. Those little girls will never look at their daddy the same way again. That wife of mine for 20 years will never look at me the same way again. And I know my heritage. Some of you brag about your family all the time. You know, you're just so family-oriented. Family becomes your God. Not some of you. Some Christians I know. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm sorry. I'm just preaching a little bit tonight. Is that all right? All right. Thank you. Appreciate you being as gracious as your preacher is, man. put me under so much conviction just sitting at dinner with him. Because he's so gracious, and I just like, I'm like, Told my my wife, I said, we got to go. She's like, he's awful gracious. I said, I'm not, let's go. (laughs) Listen, I've seen them fall away after they made a scene out of serving God. God lets me live another 50 or 100 years and, you know, this whole family thing. And, you know, well, we're such a great family. You know my family? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Those men going all the way back, man, somewhere back there. God, a a breach was made. My great-great-grandfather, a great-great-great-grandfather, something was a Methodist circuit-riding preacher. God was all over him. And he had one problem in his spirit. He was a hothead. He was an Irishman. And he hit his son in the head with a shovel when he came home from one of his circuits preaching. They were working in the garden, and his son ticked him off, and he hit his son in the head with a shovel and caused brain damage to his son. Kid was messed up the rest of his life. Lost his temper. And all his kids left God and became Roman Catholics. And then the whole line of them were drunk Roman Catholics that were abusive, hot-headed Irishmen. I got a new name. You understand that? I ain't proud of Mike Reagan. I'm Mike Reagan. Oh, the Reagan family. You don't give me that garbage because I know in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing and I got a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Yes, it's mine. And that's the name I'm living for. And if I ever abort that name and abandon that name, my life is useless. I want the hand of God. I need the hand of God. God touches him and God puts his hand on him and the spirit of the Lord carries him out. Look at where the Lord puts him in the midst of a valley which is full of bones. (laughs) Really, God? I mean, I thought when you put your hand on me, I was going to hang out my shingle and they were going to flood through the doors. God says, no, it's 2022. And people don't want to hear it anymore. So I'm going to carry you out and I'm going to drop you down somewhere. You know valleys in your Bible, that's a type of a sad place, ain't it? Have you guys noticed how sad everybody is? You know the church is sad. Save people. You got the joy of the Lord, which is supposed to be your strength. And you see the way God's people walk into church? Breaks my heart, man. You can't get beat up all week in this world and think you can come in here and just flip a switch and all of a sudden everything's fine. I'm not harping on you. You know, I struggle with it myself. It's amazing how much God's beat up some of you. This uh, not God, the devil in the world beat up some of you this week, and you're trying to get in church and just show up at a meeting. It's just your church family and your church folks, and it's just kind of a little bit of a normal meeting, you know. And you're coming here to try to get something from God, and the devil has beat some of you up so bad, clogging sinks, getting in trouble with the boss, getting you sick. You know what it is? It's a valley. You know what the devil's done? He's got a lot of us really, really, really dry. And you know what happens when you get dry? You get grouchy. My preacher always said when a man acts out of character, it's because he's under pressure. You know why some of your brothers and sisters in Christ act out of character? They're under pressure. But that doesn't mean the hand of God's not on them. We need a little grace with each other. God takes him and he drops him off in the middle of the valley, and then he asks him a question, which is really bizarre. He sets him down in the midst of the valley, which is full of bones. In verse number three, he says unto them, Son of man, can these bones live? He sets him down there and says, Hey, he's sitting there. God, I, I see it sort of like this. God sets him down in the valley, and the Lord sits down next to his man. And he says, Hey, what do you think? Now, what a weird question for God to ask me. Why would you ask me? You know what my answer would be? In the flesh? Heck no. You see how dead they are? I'm a realist, man. I I I pride myself in being pragmatic. I ain't gonna keep doing something that don't work. Come on, that's stupid, isn't it? I'm gonna make it work. If it ain't working, figure it out and work around it, right? Find the way, find what does work. He's sitting there, he says, Can these bones live? You know what his answer is? It's a really good answer. He says, Lord, thou knowest. You know what that actually meant? That meant in Ezekiel's human spirit, he's going, Pfft. no way. But in the fact that the spirit of God is God Ezekiel, he says, Lord, you made my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth for a long time. You took away my ability to speak and gave it back to me. You put your hand on me and carried me places I never thought I could ever go. And you've showed me things I never could have ever seen without your hand. God, there was a period of time long before you let me start prophesying. From the time you called me, you got to study your Bible. From the time you called me to the time you let me start preaching, there's a long period of time you were talking to me. You were walking with me. You were showing me things nobody else could see. And it's all clicking and it's all making sense. And I know you're real. You're asking me an impossible question, but you got the answer. He sets His servant down in a place that's a quandary for His servant. I'm convinced that in this generation, you and I give up too quickly. I'm convinced that the devil's got us deceived, that God can't do what God can do. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And an inroad the devil has made among King James Bible-believing, rightly dividing Christians is, we've rightly divided our Bible so much, we've overruled the power of God. Don't you know Jesus Christ was willing to overstep dispensations and He alone could do it? Now, I'm not going to start speaking in tongues, okay? I'm not even going to go into defending myself on what I'm saying. I know where I'm at doctrinally. And I'm not trying to say that you know tongues is still here, any of that kind of stuff. What I'm trying to say is when you rightly divide and you get to know your Bible so well and you realize you're in the Laodicea and day and it's going to fall away, it's going to get worse and worse, we get so doctrinal in our perspective of everything that we forget God is still alive and well. So we start looking at them like, well, there's no point in witnessing to them because some idiot out west said they're reprobate and they can't get saved. Even though Paul said, such were some of you. We think, well, God can't do it anymore. Well, I mean, I've dealt with so many of these heroin addicts. God can't help any of them at all. That's not true, even though you're probably going to have a low percentage. I'd still rather see God with his hand on me get one or two before I go out than give up because I don't trust God. Can these bones live? God, only you know. You know, more than once, I felt like my church wasn't going to make it. I mean, wasn't going to make it. I mean, like you lay down at night to go to sleep dead tired and you can't sleep and you're up. And there goes the night. (laughs) Because you're stressing and you're worrying and you're seeing what the devil's done. And I mean, uh, our worst fears, what we said were years ago when we were young and, and... Hadn't been kicked in the teeth enough yet. You know, our worst, with the, if such and such happens, we're done. Such and such happened and we're still here. Amen. Why? Oh, because of who God is. Because, you know, He knows. Son of man, can these bones live? Lord, thou knowest. He's asking the question because he's trying to teach Elijah something and Ezekiel something. And what you can't forget is that the hand of God is on him and God's put him here. Notice in verse number two, and caused me to pass by them round about. Now that's a weird phrase to me because what God's literally doing is God's rubbing his face in the mess. You see that? God didn't just set him in a spot to look at the valley full of dry bones. He said he caused me to pass by them round about. So God's literally taking Ezekiel and he's walking him through the graveyard of dead bodies. The graveyard of, I mean, they're not even dead bodies anymore. The, the, The flesh is gone. They are full of dry bones. They're not even wet bones anymore. There's nothing there but a brittle, dried up mess. And he's saying, come here, I want you to look at them. Get close. Look at that mess. Look at that mess. See that mess? Look at that pile of mess. Look at that. Look at that. That's not one person. That's a bunch of different people piled up together, all messed up, mixed up. Look at that mess. What do you think? I, what do you think? Think something can get done? What a message, man. He's looking at that thing, and God is causing him to see, and what he sees when he gets close is he says, there are very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. See, so he's saying this problem was huge. You know, it's almost like God's walking him up to a pile of a messed up marriage. No idea why I'm on marriages tonight, but I think I'm supposed to be. Ain't reality brutal? You know what the devil's telling you all the time? We don't have what we used to have. It's not the same. Of course it's not. The person complaining about it not being the same should go look in the mirror. You ain't either. You're looking at a pile of a messed up marriage. You know what? Marriage is, that's, a, that's another thing. I don't, I don't focus on family stuff all the time because we got a lot of single people in our church, right? The Bible should be for everybody. Not like, we're not like the family oriented church. Churches market that way and it bothers me. That's nothing like saying, hanging out a shingle and saying, Satan, come get us. We're marketing it. We got it all together in the family. But God did put you together, didn't He? You know what the devil's going to tell you? We got married when we were young and didn't know any better. I'm reading your mind now, aren't I? Well, I was just young and dumb. Well, we were lost when we met. I had a couple come into my office because they were interracial. He was Puerto Rican and she was black. They came into my office and they sat down and they were just in tears. They had two beautiful little kids. And they said, Pastor, what are we going to do? I said, what are we talking about? They <laughs> said, we're out of the will of God. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, so and so on the internet teaches such and such from some Old Testament passages. I said, that guy's a stinking jack leg idiot. I said, you know that jack-legged idiot doesn't even have a church? Well, he has a huge YouTube following. That idiot's not even a pastor. He sets up in his mama's basement or something with some kind of a backdrop and sends a mirage to you of success, and you think he's the answer. He got in your head, and that is demonic. And I know you, and I know your kids, and I know their names, and I can still give you their names. They're gone now. The devil got a breach on them. God can look at a pile like that. They were a loving couple. The devil found a way to get in their heads as a loving couple from some jack lag on the internet. God didn't put his hand on Ezekiel and say, Start a YouTube ministry. Hey. Marriages get messy. Raising kids ain't easy. I'm not preaching at my wife. She's stuck with me for almost 20 years, man. We're coming up on 20 years in June. June 1st. Took me 19 years to get that down. Right? She went like that and looked at one of the girls, so I'm good, man. Praise Jesus. God's given me so far great kids. Not harping on my kids, but I'll tell you this much. It ain't easy, man. We had one we thought was demon possessed. Go ahead and laugh all you want. We did. We, get, we made phone calls to preachers. <laughs> Help us. I'm talking like I walk in from work and my wife, I already got the phone calls. I knew what I was walking into. This was years ago, okay? She was little. Walk in from work. She's already at her wit's end. I'm still in my suit. I set my briefcase down on the floor. So I'll take over. I sit down on the floor in the kitchen. And we begin to have war. Absolute war. Mama goes and starts making dinner. She made dinner, brought me dinner. I ate it sitting on the floor, cleaned up from dinner, put the other kid to bed, and I was still sitting there with this kid because this kid did not want to hand us the sippy cup. (laughs) Seriously, man. You know what we said? They told us all these years... You know, train up a child, you know what I mean? The rod of correction will drive him far from a It ain't working. Don't work. You know what the preacher said? Do what God said. Just keep doing it. Win every single battle. You know, it's one thing to say win every single battle. It is another thing when that kid is as tough and as stubborn as me and mom put together times two. It ain't easy raising kids. You thought that was bad. Wait till they're teenagers. Try to figure that one out. Amen. Then they're old enough to see all your faults and flaws on top of it and have a good reason to be criticizing you. Back then, it was just like they don't want to do what you tell them. Now they don't want to do what you tell them, and they know you're telling them something stupid. You know what I mean? Doesn't mean you're wrong. You know what I'm saying? They still got to do what they're told. But I'm just saying, it gets messy, man. A a, a pile of bones. You thought you'd never go back to your old wish. You thought you had the victory over that thing. You got it right. It's been six months. It's been a year. And all of a sudden, you're looking at dry bones again. How in the world did I get back in this valley? God's saying, can these bones live? You thought you'd never leave this church. I'm preaching now. Well, oh, they come in, man. Oh, this place is so great. I mean, just praise the Lord, and you're preaching, Pastor, the, that last guy, that last guy, but you, whoa, man, I mean, do you walk on water? I'll bet you can't even take a bath, because you can't sink, I'm telling you, and I'm always like, well, I'm glad it's a blessing, praise the Lord, good deal, okay, yeah, praise the Lord, and I mean, I can see older preachers in my head, and I try to, I try to mimic them, because it's really not me, you know what I mean, I'm going to get there someday, but for now, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, you know, <laughs> We are never going to leave this church. Preacher, God called me here to grow old with you and to back you, and that's what I'm supposed to do. Before long, what was your sanctuary is now a valley of dry bones. And God's saying, can these bones live? you got to really, your pastor is a lot more gracious than I am. You really do have a gracious Pastor. That's a blessing, ain't it? You know, no matter how gracious he is or how good he is, sooner or later. I'm not trying to like, he didn't like, here's what's going on. As far as he's like, everything's always great all the time, everything's wonderful. I'm like, I wish I could be half that happy, man. But sooner or later, he's human. And you get dry, and you're in a valley, and that does not mean that God's hand's not on you. He might have put you there and said, all right, now let's learn something. Can these bones live? Oh, Lord, thou knowest. He puts his servant in a position of perplexity when he puts his hand on him because those positions of quandary, those positions of perplexity are what teach us something about God we can't learn without it. Look at the sovereign's command in verse number 4. Again He said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I'll cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I'll lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there came a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. He tells them in verses 4 through 6 to preach to them. See the dry bones? Yeah, Lord, I see them. My hand's on you, right? Yeah, you want my hand on you, don't you? Yeah, Lord, I do. All right. See the dry bones? Yeah. Now what? Preach. <laughs> Seriously, Lord? Yeah, preach. Lord, I've been preaching. It don't work. Just preach. You know, I, I left my poor kid out in the cold there with that story. You know, now we tell people about how she was back then, and we ain't had a spank her in years, praise God. <laughs> You know what eventually worked? What God said to do. When God commands you to do something, you do what God commands you to do, whether it seems to be working or not, because God said it, you obey it. It's that simple. I did it, I tried it for a while, and it didn't work out, you quit. You can't blame God because you quit. If God said it'll work, you keep doing what God said because God says it works well, I'm dry and I'm upset with the church and somebody offended me and somebody made me mad and somebody hurt my feelings and maybe you needed it. You know what I figured out about my enemies? They'll tell me the stone-cold truth about me. People that love me won't. You know what's a blessing when my enemies tell me the stone-cold truth about me? I can go, you know what? I don't like you, but what you said is true. So if what you said is true, it can help me. You see, sometimes I need to hear what I need to hear, and it gets me upset. It gets me jacked out of the frame. It gets me angry. Somebody hurt me. But you know why I go to church anyways? Because God said that he's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You know, preaching pleases God. That whole... Save them that believe. That means if you're lost and you hear the gospel, you'll get saved. God chooses preaching to see lost people saved. But you know, that also can apply to your life. You'll walk in here and this stinking guy from Michigan's here and he's yelling at us and preaching to us and he don't know me from Adam, but it's like he's reading my mail. How does that happen? How does that happen? I don't know your, your background. I don't know your life. I don't know where you're from. And even if they told me, I wouldn't put the name with the face. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be good at that stuff, but I'm not. (laughs) Sorry. That's God reading your mail. God has manifested His Word in due time, it said. He's manifested His Word through preaching. You start realizing the power of that book in your lap when your preacher gets up here and opens up the Bible and starts preaching to dry bones, and you say, that Bible's alive hand of God was on that why because the word of the Lord came expressly unto him and the hand of God was on him and he said that was God because that came in conjunction with the word of God and I needed that he starts preaching to those bones because God told him to preach you know God tells Ezekiel God commands Ezekiel in chapter 6 and verse 11 he says smite with the hand and stamp with the foot God's orders to Ezekiel, he gives him exactly the words he's to say. And then he says, not just the words, but here's how I want you to preach. This is the way I want you to move. I want you to smack with your hands. I want you to stomp with your foot. That's my call on your life. If Ezekiel didn't do it, he was against God. He told Isaiah to walk naked and barefoot. Now, if God tells me to smack with my hands and stomp with my feet, and people look at me like, I don't know why he's got to do that. That's a whole lot better than what God told Isaiah to do. Amen. And I guarantee you, God didn't tell you to do that, all right? So thank God you ate an Old Testament prophet. Amen. God tells Ezekiel, he says, I want you to lay on one side for." Oh, almost a year, and then I want you to lay on the other side for like 40 days. I think the total was almost like, almost like 14 months or something like that. He's laying on his side. You know what he told Ezekiel to do? He says, I want you to bake bread, and I want you to bake it in, in uh, dung, man's dung. I learned a little bit about man's dung. We were talking about it at lunch. <laughs> we bought our new house, you know. They came in, and they did this inspection on the, on the septic field, and the septic field was about to blow up. So they made them put in a whole new septic before we moved in three, three, four years ago. It was a blessing, man. Praise the Lord. New septic. Hallelujah, man. It didn't cost us nothing brand new. We're good. Man, after being in that house about six months, I went downstairs. and Man, it smells like a port john down here. That ain't good. I go over to the furnace room, I slide the door open, and right on the floor underneath where the pipe exits to go out to the tank, there's about the size of a small dinner plate, there's a wet spot. Man, I panicked. I run upstairs, I go out there, I take the top off that that septic, I flip that thing open, I look, and the sewage is all the way up to where it's just about to flow over the riser into the backyard. And my heart is just stinking. we have a finished basement there. I'm like, oh, no, that's just... Tens of thousands if that thing leaks and OSHA ocean and all the rest of the stuff that comes into the picture, right? I called the septic guy. He said, oh, man, here's what we do nowadays. He said, before the sewage leaves the tank and goes to the field, there's a filter we put in. And he said, how many girls you got in that house? I said, five, counting my wife. He said, that filter just saved your neck. I said, huh? He said, I've never seen this happen this fast, but... Every three months or so, you're supposed to be cleaning out that filter. He said, here's what you got to do. you got to reach down in there and pull that filter. I said, can you come? (laughs) He said, you can't wait, because if that pipe in your basement lets loose, it's thousands of dollars. My wife and daughters are standing around me going, Oh, 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 Dad, oh, Dad. In I went. Have you noticed I'm not very tall? <laughs> I was up to my armpit feeling around for that thing. I found it, I pulled it out, This, it, it was caked with hair, cleaned it out, and we're all good. My arm stunk. I took three showers that day, and it still stunk for. Wow, we'll just leave it at that. And you all have been shaking my hand. (laughs) I got a better one for you. Just this last youth conference thing that we hosted at our church. We had all those girls staying at the house and we got a macerator in the basement. You know, a macerator pumps up for the bathroom down there. Well, the macerator jammed up. So I had a deacon meet me over at the house to help me because I'm if you didn't notice my mess up with the Phillips and Flathead the other day, I'm not real tooly kind of guy. So he met me over there to help me out. I'm willing to do anything, but I'm just dumb when it comes to that stuff, you know, and he's real good at it. So he meets me over there. He's, brother, it's a blessing to serve God. And I'm happy to be doing this for you, for the church. Praise the Lord. He's all excited. I'm like, well, great, man. So we get the, now I know a little bit, Right. <laughs> We get that thing disconnected from the top of the macerator, and we're trying to figure out how to get it back together. And, and that thing pumps up, right? So it's got a check valve so it doesn't flow back, right? <laughs> we're messing around. He was talking, and he's happy. He's not paying any attention. The guy's very mechanical, he's really sharp. He's been a blessing to me for 13 years of the 14 years I've been there. He's, he's a great guy, older guy. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, man, what, why come this thing ain't going back together? <laughs> I pull it up, and the pipe is a little flexible. And I turn, I said, look in there, man. He looks in there. He's like, something up in there. I said, push it. (laughs) He sticks the screwdriver up there, and he got a poop smoothie. (laughs) It fired at him, man. (laughs) Pastor, I hate you. I can't believe I've stayed in this church all these years. You done me dirty. I can't, oh, man, I got poop. Don't you tell nobody. I said, I won't say a word that night (laughs) that's bad right that ain't nothing like eating it and God told Ezekiel I want you to eat it I want you to show these people how filthy they are with the hand of God on them now you see all that he's been through for years till he comes to Ezekiel chapter 37 He has proven to God that he wants God's hand on him so bad, he will do whatever it takes to have God's hand on his life. And then God says, all right, here's what I want you to do with the bones since you've proven yourself to me with what I tell you to eat, how I tell you to lay down, when I tell you to talk, when I tell you not to talk. You have submitted to my hand all the way and done it the right way, so now I'm going to give you an opportunity to see a little bit of Philadelphia. And he says, Ezekiel, get up and preach. Ezekiel's like, God, I'm going to make an idiot out of myself. But if you said preach, I'll preach. Because if preaching makes you happy, it doesn't matter if those bones respond or not. I'm going to get where the preaching is, or I'm going to do the preaching if that's what you want me to do. But if the preaching's what you want, if your word's that important to you... I'll preach your word to dead, dry bones. If nothing ever happens, I'll keep preaching your word. Boy, he gets to preaching. And the funny thing about preaching is when you start preaching the Bible, bones start moving. He said he heard a rattling. And while he's preaching that thing, the bone comes to his bone and they start clicking and they start moving and something starts happening. And it's a scary thing because it's all dead still. understand that? Haven't you seen it? Preacher starts preaching or God starts moving or we start getting close to camp. How many times have I heard that this week? We start getting close to camp. Well it's because the hand of God is on the camp. You understand that right? The hand of God is on the camp because the hand of God is on the preacher and the hand of God is on the church and God's doing something with the camp. Every year when we start getting this, it starts rattling. Yeah, you know why? Because there's some preaching's going to go on at the camp. you got the best preacher in America. Oh, you're just kissing up. Get up. Just get away from me. Don't give me that stuff. I kissing up. He's too busy to even listen to me anyhow. He has no idea what I'm saying. you got the best preacher, in my opinion, in America. That's my opinion. I have a right to my opinion. If you don't agree with me, that's your opinion. That's my opinion. And God knows what God wants to do at that camp. And so, what starts happening is because God chooses the foolishness of preaching, and God works in preaching, and God loves preaching, bones start rattling. Dead stuff starts moving. Your flesh starts acting out, you start getting sideways. The devil starts trying to cause issues and problems and strife because if he can get in there early and if he can get in there often and if he can get y'all going at each other, he can rob that place of what God wants to do in the hearts of young people that are dead bones themselves. We got one week to get a shot at them and you know what happens when they go home. They go right back to those preacher, those school teachers with agendas to get in their head and mess up their minds and mess up their heart right back on the job, right back around the world, right back around those lost kids that want to drag them down, right back home to parents that don't want to live as godly as God just convicted the kid to live. Man, you know how that works. And God's given you all one week to make a difference. Amen. And that's exactly why the rattling starts. You know what you do when the rattling starts? You dig in and you preach more. Because the devil don't like what's happening. So guess what? We know we're on it, man. He starts kicking back. You just got to lock in and keep on going. They stand up. They, they come together and the skin comes upon them. They look good on the outside, but there's no breath in them. They're a dead army. Then he says, in verse 9, he said, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. He starts preaching, and the product of that preaching is dead things start moving, the devil starts working, the flesh starts working, and he keeps on preaching. And sooner or later, man, because he's doing what God said, the way God said to do it, the breath of God comes through. And God, people go... Oh, I needed that. I like to call it the click. You ever just have stuff click for you? Just all of a sudden it's like, oh, I get it. Have you ever been bitter? Be honest. You ever been bitter? Isn't that a horrible feeling? Do you know how many people stay there? becomes your baby. I speak from experience. You carry it around as a badge. You're trying to do right, but you're dry bones. And the preaching's helping you because you know you're bitter and you know you need to get it right and you're trying and there's been strife between you and that brother or that sister and you know you're supposed to do something about this and you're trying. You know what I've done? I've forgiven people. I've forgiven people because it was right to do. and I, they were not released. You know what I was? I was bones that were put back together with some sinew upon them. I was starting to look good. I was looking better. I, I think I got this. I'm trying. And you know what happened to me more than once in my life? Sitting in a preaching service when a man that loves the Bible and been prayed up got in that pulpit and opened up that Bible. Something clicked in me. God came along through the preaching of His Word and said, And I said, "Ah, ah, I've walked out of church services while everybody else was answering the altar call to go to my car to get on my phone. To call somebody. And to say, I know I told you a long time ago that I forgive you. But I want you to know that God just breathed on me. And I love you. And I forgive you. You say, what changed? Nothing really out here. Everything in here. You know what you and I need? We need the hand of God on us. Probably not going to feel like you want it to feel. Might even be quite a bit confusing. Might take you some places you really don't want to go. Might not happen overnight. But if you respond to God's hand the first time, The second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. Ezekiel 37 is the sixth time in this book. It says the hand of the Lord was upon me. And now he's preaching and God raises up a great army with breath in them. And their hope is given back. And they never ever thought they would ever see Anything like this ever happened? And it was all from the hand of God. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed tonight. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord if you see fit. And here's the message Do you want the hand of God on you tonight? Do you want God's hand? Would you be willing to come down here tonight to the old-fashioned altar? Man, I still love the old-fashioned altar. It has changed my life. You want to get down here to the old-fashioned altar tonight and just say this, God, listen, no matter what it means, whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'm willing to do. God, no matter what it means, I want, I need, I'm desperate for. Your hand. Put your hand on me. God, I'm going to sign a blank check. And I want you to write out who it's to. And I want you to write out how much it is. I am yours. Please, put your hand on me.